Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I'm Barton Simmons with Bud Elliott. And it's it's the point of the season, Bud, I think, when, you know, the, the pe- people are a little less dialed in to what the intricacies of a single game breakdown might be and the big matchup on CBS Game of the Week or whatever it is. Because kind of everyone's future, the die's been cast for, for everyone's season for the most part. Like You kind of are what you are. Um, we're, we're, we're zeroing in on the playoffs. I know that's dominating everyone else's conversation right now. So we're not going to get into the minutia today of, of each and every game breakdown. Like sometimes we like to do, and, and I think it's fun, but today we're going to use some of your, uh, your, your mailbag questions, which fortunately for us are really good. They're fun combos. They're fun topics to discuss. I, I, I'm sitting here looking at our, our shared sheet here with, um, with some, some questions that I think are going to be really kind of fun to, to get into. So maybe, Bud, we'll talk about some games at the end of the, the, the show that we were interested in this weekend. But what do you say about uh, just, just kind of digging in on some of these questions? I like it. I, I, I like it a lot. So, guys, these questions come from the Apple Podcast review section for the most part. If you want to get a question to the show, just go to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Uh, if you're already subscribed, unsubscribe, resubscribe, you know, Help us get that nice algorithmic bump there. And just drop your question in in the five-star review process. Uh, we we want to keep increasing that subscription percentage every month. doesn't cost you anything. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Google Podcasts, wh- whatever you want to listen to podcasts on, Overcast, Pocket Cast, uh, Undercast, what, you know, CastNet, anything like that, man. We, we, we are on, on a podcast platform. So let's get this thing kicked off. We have, what, seven or eight, I think, today? And this one, I'm going to direct it at you first because this is related to an article you dropped over the summer, and I thought it was a good one. B. Phelan, 13, writes, do you still consider Ian Book to be a bus driver or has his recent play elevated him to fighter pilot? Um, by the way, just as a, as a you know, pretext to this discussion, that, that in that article, I classified... Kyle Trask as a bus driver and Kellen Mond as a fighter pilot. And that's been haunting me ever since <laughs> I get like every oh, week man. that Kellen Mond, Kellen Mond's had a pretty good year this year, but every week the Kellen, like last weekend, I got a few more tags in that article. Uh, and uh, you know, Kyle Trask had a good week every, every week. I will, I do want to sort of defend myself there. Like, Hey, I was wrong, but B um, the idea wasn't that Kellen Ma was a better quarterback than Kyle Trask. The idea was that he had a higher ceiling. I thought that he could, you know, great Kellen Ma game. He could beat anybody, but I acknowledge that he, he has a lot of low, you know, you know, for every peak, there's five valleys for him. Um, but you know, what's saving you here, right? What? So like your take on Kyle Trask a was months ago. And he's obviously, we're acknowledging that he's played much better than we expected him to. 
but PFF, w- w- one of their guys just hates Kyle Trask. <laughs> doesn't doesn't like his number. So like he's he like pretends Kyle Trask doesn't even play the sport of football. And so all all the Gator Nation's ire on the Kyle Trask thing is directed at that dude. And you're just kind of flying under the radar here with with, with the other Trask take, man. It is going to be really interesting to see where Trask gets gets drafted. Um, I I didn't I didn't think he was a first round draft pick last year. Um, he certainly may be playing himself into that this year. But I think the traits there are still. They're not going to be the what gets you know NFL guys excited. So I, I'm I'm curious what the NFL uh, perspective on him is going to be. Um, but the, hey, look, that's a that's a whole different discussion. I think the the question at hand here is about Ian Book. And speaking of NFL draft, I think that Ian Book has played himself into being an NFL draft pick. I think he's Ooh. played. I mean, he's already played himself into being in the Senior Bowl. Um, and I think there's 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 a growing expectation that he's probably. You know, he could be in that kind of fourth, fifth round kind of guy. And I, and I think that um, for me, the, the perspective on what Notre Dame is this year has changed because of what Ian Book has done. I think Ian Book has, has played to the level of, I mean, yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a fighter pilot. Now it's sort of a reluctant fighter pilot tag because I still don't know if he is like, I don't know when I look at Notre Dame, I'm thinking of Ian book as a guy that is putting his team on his back, but he is a really good player and he is, he is not limiting at all this year. And he is a value add at the quarterback position. And, and, you know, does he go head to head with Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields and uh, Mac Jones and, and out duel them. I don't know, but I think that Notre Dame can now beat those teams, not in spite of Ian Book, but in, because of Ian Book. Like he actually helps the he helps the matchup. Um, I just I, re, I really like what he's become this year, and and I think that he's you know if Notre Dame has a quarterback playing at his level, they're a national title contender. So can we create another category here? Maybe like I, I kind of I, I feel you. Like he may not be a fighter pilot, but I, I was I was watching something on on Nat Geo the other day, and, and like maybe we call this position the the co-pilot or or the gunner, right? Like if, if you go back to those old World War II planes, yeah, man, he's he's out the back, he, he he's firing the gun, he's not flying the plane, mm. but like but 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 if you're given the opportunity, he's taking advantage of it. He's he's not somebody there who's you know just. He's not just helping you taxi on the runway. I mean, he, he's actually actively involved in the process. Maybe we call call Ian Book the the co-pilot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that I makes know. sense. I got the the whole part of the my theory, and even like writing this, I started writing it a few years ago. I, th- I think it was when I watched Jake Browning just get totally overwhelmed, just drowned against Alabama when Washington made their playoff appearance, and there was a little bit of that to to Ian Book in 2018. He just Game was just moving too fast for him, and that is just—it's just—it's very clearly not the case anymore. It is very clear to me that Ian Book is operating at an elite level, and um, and I do think that that's that's that could translate to an NFL draft pick. I, I, I in fact, I would kind of be a, be surprised if he didn't get drafted at this point. I I, I kind of thought for a while he was going to be somebody who's going to go pro in, in something other than sports to to steal that NCAA commercial. Yeah, but I so. Question for you with him and, and and Trask, if you put them on just like an average team, do you think that they are elevating those teams, or or do you think that these are guys who are playing extremely well within the context of those systems? I think he, I think he, I think they are. I think um, I'm trying to think like let's try to think of an example 
of an average team and just so I can visualize what it looks so like. So like Cam Newton Auburn is the is, is the the classic example, right? Like Cam Newton was probably two or three wins above replacement for that Auburn national title team. If you take him off them, they're not going to miss a bowl, but they're probably like an eight and four squad. You know? Uh, well, let's just because you said Auburn, I, I, Auburn is is above average, but if you put Kyle Trask and or Ian Book on Auburn's team this year, I think Bo Nix is a is an average quarterback. Um, I think that team is better. I'm trying to think about wins. What have they, so who have they lost to this year? They lost to... Well, they've, they've had a couple wins that are uh, a little, little, yeah, ske- little sketchy. I, I will, I will, I will um, remove some of that sketch and maybe they grab a, grab a win. They're not, maybe they're one win better if they have either of those guys on the roster instead of Bo Nix. And that's not supposed to be a shot at Bo Nix. Um, Bo Nix, you know, maybe Bo Nix becomes Ian Book eventually. I mean, Ian Book's had some Bo Nix moments early in his career, um, but... Uh, I, I think the, the the quarterback Ian Book is right now would be a uh, would be an upgrade at a place like Auburn, and I think that that would make their team better. All right, that's that's fair to me there. Um, so next question here, Barton. I forgot to put a name on this one, so we'll just go with it. Whoever asked this, I appreciate it. How eager should Texas be to fire Tom Herman if it doesn't have Urban Meyer lined up? Uh you want to take this one first? I, this is a tough one because like uh, for, for all the internal stuff that, that you hear them complaining about and the, the, the repeated on-field gaffes and, and the and kind of the lack of player development and honestly, like the, the, the lack of identity for, for Texas. I, 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 this is Tom Herman's fourth year, I think. Sounds right. H- has to be right. Cause the, the, the year that Orgeron started, was yeah this is year four for Herman because because he, he came in I think the year before the early signing period started what like what is what is Texas's identity what, what like what what do they do really well consistently or what are they building towards right I, I think all those things are are legitimate questions that it's scary that we don't have an answer yet but at the same time man I don't know that there is an obvious no doubt category candidate for texas if urban meyer is not lined up I, are, are you sure matt campbell is an upgrade over urban meyer i think he's a damn herman. good coach but or, 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 or is an upgrade over tom herman excuse me i think he's a damn good coach but i would have had tom herman in the no doubt category when texas made that hire coordinator experience head coaching experience you know, slaying Goliath at, at, at Houston national championship coordinator, excellent recruiter, high energy guy knew the program. Uh, what, what was what a GA or, or an assistant uh, under Mac Brown for the title team. So he knew what the program could be at the highest level, understood the booster structure there. I mean, check like he checked every single box. I'm not convinced that Matt Campbell is, is that much better than Tom Herman is maybe he is. And he's done a great job at Iowa state, but like, to me, I th- I think you might go Urban or or keep him one more year. I know. I mean, four years. When you say that, like that's really not that long of a time. And he has to. It's not like this. This is a unsalvageable situation. Um, and so I, I think I'm kind of with you a little bit. Like I, I just think it's a little bit scary. I think if you and and because we can sit here and say, oh, well, Matt Campbell, like just hire Matt Campbell, or uh, I don't know, just hire. Uh, 
don't know who the other like name du jour is right now. Hire him. I've heard Cristobal on on the Horns twenty four seven message boards, but he's no he's no lock either. And they blow games left and right that they probably shouldn't, or at least if they don't end up losing them, they there's a lot of games out there they they play that are a lot closer than they should be. Yeah, I think I think what I'm getting at is I don't know that there is a there is a coach that Texas would or should hire that should give them confidence other than Urban Meyer that should give them confidence that they need to fire Tom Herman. Um, maybe they do like, maybe they have information, have had conversations, have had enough insight with a potential candidate that they do feel confident. Like, all right, if we don't get a Meyer, like this guy has what it takes. Um, because I, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, like the, the interview process needs to be revealing. Um, and, and some of the vetting process pre-interview needs to be revealing and, you know, you need to be successful in coming up with, you know, determining who this guy is. Uh, and so if they've done that, if they got a good read on a couple, cause I, look, I think Matt Campbell would be a, would be really good and, and answers a lot of things that Texas needs. Cristobal answers a lot of things Texas needs as well, but Texas is a unique job in that it's, I mean, it's, a uh, you got to be a, you got to be the governor, you know, you got to be the, you got to be the mayor of Austin, not, not the, not the offensive coordinator. Uh, and so is Matt Campbell, can Matt Campbell operate outside of his little, like I'm in Ames and let's just process process. Let's, you know, get the guys to buy in, buy hard work and, you know, get hard work and tough kids. And here we go. Can he, can he kiss the babies and manage the donors and all that stuff? Um, Maybe he can, but again, that that's I think you gotta have a really firm understanding and grasp of who your candidates are if you don't if you fire Tom Herman, because um I, I don't think you have to fire him. But you got but you do have to fire him if, if, if Urban Meyer is about to take this job because that is a that is a, it's an opportunity. Yes. Oh, there, there's no doubt about it. I, I even if you have some doubts that like, hey man, as you know, has the game passed Urban by that the way he left Ohio State was was not the best. I, I still think you you have to I'm going to say roll that dice. I don't think it's that much of a dice roll. The, the, the guy's won it twice. He's won two national or three national titles, right, at, at, at two different schools now. There, there's no doubt that he, he would be, in, in my mind at least, an, an upgrade over Tom Herman. Um, the other thing, other thing pressing there is the AD, Chris Del Conte, he did not hire Tom Herman. He came after. And if you read the message boards, it's no secret that their, their relationship is, is not great despite what they claim. What what is his leash like? Is he confident that he's going to get time from their boosters and their power players to make his stamp on the program if he gives Tom Herman another year? Like if he says, "Hey guys, I still want my shot," and we all know these ads that they want to have their shot to bring in their guy. Like if he lets Tom Herman come back another year, assuming this is his call, which given you know how many cooks are in in that Texas kitchen, it may not entirely be, and probably is not entirely his call. Does he still get a chance to make his make his shot next year or the year after? Uh, I read Bruce Feldman wrote a story, I think today on like 20 names for the coaching carousel. Uh, and, and he mentioned that Chris Del Conte is a big James Franklin guy. Like he's, he, he likes James Franklin a lot. Um, I, I actually think, I don't know if Texas fans would be excited about that because James Franklin's sitting here one in five or whatever they are. Uh, but that's actually the exact type of hire that Texas should go after. I mean, James Franklin, his strengths are manage being the CEO of the entire program. Like even Mario Cristobal, 
obviously he's not like a play caller, but Mario Cristobal's strengths is really kind of recruiting, recruiting, and then recruiting. James Franklin is 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 more of a, you know, we're gonna get everybody aligned, we're gonna get build out our staff and our support staff and our facilities, and we're gonna do all these things that that make our this program run at a really clean clip. And um, I think that would be an interesting direction to go. But again, like this isn't really the year to hire James Franklin. If you want to get, you know, unanimous support from the, from the, uh, the message boards. So I, I agree. One little addendum to this, if I could throw it on, we are seeing some schools, you know, hire like the director of football position, not, not DPP and, and, and not, you know, not necessarily director of ops, but almost like like a like a GM role that that helps to run everything to allow a coach to you know to just coach and just recruit. I I, I wonder if Texas if they couldn't go that model, right? Maybe you get a guy like that who is good at dealing with boosters, organizational stuff, and then you get a guy who's just really good at coaching ball, and and has a staff that's really good at coaching ball. Texas has enough money to where they they could kind of do this model where you have a lot of your analysts being your your recruiters, right? And, and, and that, that type of thing that we see some of these schools do, that, that would be interesting. And I think that would expand your candidate pool quite a bit if you could get a bit of a two-headed monster in there. I, I don't know if they would do that, but it's something I've been thinking about. By two-headed monster, are you saying like a non-football coach just in a, in a role that is similar to a DFO, like a DFO um, parallel role in terms of it? Right. Basically, yeah. But maybe like, like, a, like an elevate elevated DFO, the guy, not that he talks to the media a whole lot, but that he, he deals with boosters. He deals with administrative stuff a lot more to where if you have a guy who's not quite as charismatic, as charismatic as not quite that James Franklin level of energy that, that he could still play there at Texas. Yeah. And somebody who, who would come and just not have to deal with, with, with quite as much BS. I don't know. It might not work. Yeah. Outside the box thinking, man, that's the way you got to get things done these days. All right, what we got next? All right, let's see. Rach09, <clears throat> assuming JT Daniels stays at Georgia another year, and obviously with Spencer Rattler being entrenched as a starter at Oklahoma, which school becomes the next, quote, national title contender to be in play for a transfer quarterback next year? I'm guessing Dustin Crum and Zach Thomas as two possibilities. I'm not sure I'm going to put Dustin Crum and Zach Thomas, the – quarterbacks at what Kent State and uh, App Kent State, State and App as the the guys that can be the missing piece for a national championship but to the the point of the question who's going to be ready who, who's going to be ready to tee it up for a run next year that's that's got everything except the quarterback position okay i've got 3 in my head i've got i've got Two, okay. My first one is Penn State. Oh yeah, I think that's. A, <laughs> I didn't even think about Penn State because they're so bad this year. I mean, that's a really talented roster. I'm basically just writing off the, the, this year. I think if you got a really good quarterback that could elevate them, they they've had quarterback issues. Not like that their quarterbacks have sucked, but just you know sometimes they're just not good enough, especially in in the bigger games. So for me, Penn, Penn State would be one. Ohio State's going to be going through. You know, a, a decent amount of transition next year. They'll still be one of the, the national title favorites. Don't don't get me wrong, Buckeyes fans, but uh, Penn State will will have a shot there. So Penn State would be my first one. 
Yeah, I think that's a good one because people are people are going to look at this record and they're going to forget how talented that roster still is, particularly when you consider a lot of the opt-outs they've had. Um, they man, they they really need to get in the transfer portal. That's been a that's been a spot that's been missing at them for with them from a recruiting standpoint for a while. Um, so mine is Notre Dame. Um, because Notre Dame, they, they might very well have the guy. It could, whether it's Brennan Clark on that roster, whether it's Tyler Buckner coming in as a true freshman, uh, maybe they've got the guy. But you know, this is, and and maybe Notre Dame doesn't doesn't sort of look to that sort of quick fix solution. Maybe they maybe they have a another couple of years, and Brennan Clark is the is what Ian Book was in 2018, 2019, and then you know they're they're their fighter pilot year with Brendan Clark is in 2023 or something. Uh, but I do think if they want to be back in the college football playoff contention next year, I kind of, kind of seems like they may need to get a little juice. Um, I, I, I'm not super confident that Buckner is ready right out the gate. I mean, this is a guy that's basically had one season of varsity. This is, the, this is their, their top 100 quarterback commit. He's basically had one season of, varsity high school experience because he was injured as a sophomore and he didn't play this year um, because of the COVID stuff. So I, I just think Notre Dame has, has continued to elevate that program in a really substantive way under Brian Kelly. Uh, the next step is being able to be a, um, be an attraction for quarterbacks. All right. We feel pretty good about Bama, obviously, because they, they have this guy named Bryce Young. We think it's going to be pretty damn good. Uh, I'll I'll stay in the SEC West though. LSU should be a pretty damn good roster next year. I, I don't know what they have going on behind the scenes. You you, you hear you hear whispers and rumors about about stuff, but are, are we convinced Miles Brennan is, is is that guy? They just had success with the transfer in in, uh, in Joe Burrow. I, I I could see them maybe trying to take one, make a run at it. And then the other one I have from the West is Kellen Mond leaving, or is he going to use that extra year? I don't know, man. It feels like the Kellen Mond. Feels like the Kellen Mond experience just needs to kind of wrap up. It is what it is. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe he'll want to come back, but uh, I don't know. I bet. I bet that Texas A&M fans would be have some conflicting emotions on you know that decision. I mean, I do you think he's an NFL guy? Yeah, I think he would. I think he would. I don't know. I don't know if he would get drafted or not. But he would definitely be a guy that NFL teams are intrigued by. I mean, his yeah, tools are are kind of off the charts. Like they still are what they are. And I think NFL coaches tend to think that they can coach those guys up. But um, I, don't, I mean, I'm sitting here with like this this uh, LSU game in my rearview mirror where he could, it feels like he couldn't throw between you know you and me. And I just so I don't know. He's had some good games this year too. It's just a he's kind of a maddening quarterback to watch. Yeah, I mean he's also a guy who might you know, like like he who might unlock additional um, abilities or success in, in an offense that is a bit simpler and is is a bit more I won't say modern, but you know an offense that is more downfield RPO type stuff and using his legs more and, and a little bit less traditional pro style slow tempo. It, it just feels like sometimes yeah yeah I, they're not letting him play. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so th- those are my three. Are, are, is there an obvious one we're missing? I'm trying to think on this. Well, there's one more. I mean, Miami, 
Um, oh yeah, it's kind of weird. Miami's sitting here like tenth in the country or something. They're what? What are they? Eight and one, um, seven and one, something like that. And they're they're not really talked about that much. Um, but meanwhile, Derek King is sort of putting on this show every week, and so Derek King is getting a lot of the credit for their success this year, and rightfully so. But are we ignoring the idea that this is a pretty good team and that they'll be a pretty good team next year if they have an answer at the quarterback position? But they don't. There's no reason to believe they have one on the roster other than Derek King. So that's a big one to me. Is just you know what's their answer at quarterback and can they get a qu- another quick fix? Is uh, is King definitely going pro? It's a good question. I don't know. I guess uh, theoretically he could come back. I, I don't know. I don't know why he would other than just he's not getting taller. Yeah. I mean, he is, he's, he, it's not like his, his resume is going to improve for the NFL. He might as well just take your swing at the league right now, unless he's just sort of uh, con- resigned to the fact that he's not an NFL quarterback and just keep on living off this college love. Um, but I, I, I don't, I, I tend to believe he probably wants to make a run at this as an NFL guy. Miami is an interesting one. Like Manny Diaz has had a lot of success with the transfer portal. And so I think, I think that gives Miami a leg up when they do go after transfers, right? It's, it's Hey, like this guy has had success with transfers. Let's like, I I, I can go there. I, I can trust him to have success with me. Um, you're right though. He has carried that team this year in, in a way that surprises me a little bit about how, you know, how little they get from some of the pieces around him. Um, maybe Brevin Jordan comes back and I, I know he's a junior now he's, he's had some injuries this year only 20 20 catches on, on 26 targets uh, but like Mike Harley Mark Pope D Wiggins I think all those guys should be back for, for the Hurricanes like that that could be an attractive offense to play in the offensive line should be better you know, defensively they're, they're recruiting extremely well on defense this year um, but I think that might take a little bit of a step back next year and, and have a little bit of a gap here if you will, until those guys can can get in there and dominate, especially because they, you know, they 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 lost Greg and then they're going to lose what Phillips and and a couple of those guys up front to the league. But Miami's a good one, man. That that and that, that's a, that's a school that I feel like the the caveat of this question sort of limits us in some ways because it says national championship contender. So there's just only so many schools that we could actually pick that would be that. Um, I don't put Florida in there because I, I feel like how much they play Emory Jones that they're, they're going to just go with him, you know, plus Anthony Richardson's if, if, if Emory Jones isn't the guy, Anthony Richardson, I think could be the guy too. He is huge by the way. Yeah. Dan Mullen would just, he would just get all, get back to the old Mississippi state stuff. I mean, that's what they will be next year. they will be more like what Mississippi state used to be offensively. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't imagine they would dig into the portal. Did, uh, have you seen Richardson in person? Yes, he's a monster. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was at this like Florida futures game practice thing, which is like where they take all the underclassmen in the state and they they practice. And I I, I rolled at the practice. I'd never seen the guy before because he was he would have been a, a like, I think a junior at the time. And he he had on you know like like not typical football gear. I was like, oh, it's one of the coaches. And then he gets in line. I'm like, oh, cool. And then I was like, oh, wow, that's that's not one of the coaches. That's that's Richardson. Holy cow, he is. So yeah, you think yeah. they use Emory in that runner role this year? Watch what Florida does with with uh, with with, uh, with Anthony next year, and that is going to be that yeah, he's he can bang he's a problem. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I don't know who asked, asked this question here, 
But the question is, hey, why can't UVA and Bronco Mendenhall recruit any better than they have? I figure when they got competence that they would have, would move from the high 40s to the low 30s and maybe even the 20s. Historically, UVA has been able to recruit at that level with a few better years. But dot, dot, dot. All right. How do we, there's just some limiting factors. Like, so Barton and I both know guys on this UVA staff. And I think this UVA staff is a really good staff. Um, it's a staff that I think understands its limitations as far as a program and yet seeks to maximize their output based on those limitations. And, and they're not trying to just, you know, chase stars just, just for the purpose of, of doing it. And, and I, I do think there's something to be said for the like relative accuracy of recruiting rankings. Once you get past like the top, maybe 600 kids or so, it's just, it's harder to, to differentiate between like a, like an 83 and an 84 rated player, just because there are so many of them. So I think that there is some wiggle room to do kind of what Kansas State, what what UVA and some of those schools do, which is getting talent and getting talent that fits your system, right? And I, I think UVA does that really well. There are some, some limitations there. A, it's a high academic institution. It's not an Ivy League, but like you can't be a dummy for the most part and go to UVA. Second thing is Bronco just doesn't tolerate a lot of knuckleheads. And there are some schools that can get better athletic talent than UVA can because they'll take some of those guys who are kind of problematic background kids or who don't act a certain way. And Bronco's just not going to take too many of those type dudes. And they want guys that fit you know, what, what they do. And not all schools want some of these guys that UVA wants. It's also just not... It's a very much like a substance over flash coaching staff and school. When I think UVA, I don't think that's like a sexy, you know, high, high power, like high energy offense program. It, they, they just go out there and, and they win games and, and they're consistently competent and, and competitive. But like they don't have that, that flash and that sizzle that I think attracts some recruits. And, and they may not want some of the recruits who are attracted by, by that flash and sizzle. Yeah, I think – when when Bronco Mendenhall left BYU for Virginia, I was like, "What are we doing here? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. This is just not a fit. It doesn't like he has like geographically like it doesn't make any sense. Like the footprints that they're used to recruiting out of like they used to get guys from like American Samoa and stuff. Like they're they're gonna go down to Virginia. Um, but in retrospect, it makes perfect sense. And, and it was a great hire and it was a great fit for 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 Bronco because. It's it is all about culture with with him, and you can say that everywhere. But certain programs are are gonna sort of ask more out of you than to sort of stay disciplined and focused on recruiting to your culture. Some programs are not gonna be okay with you going eight and four every year, um, and I think Virginia is okay with them going eight and four every year. And and I think in that you know Bronco Mendenhall isn't gonna play like the dog and pony show and try to like you know do the, do the whole recruiting dance with every kid that wants to, you know, get retweets. I think they're going to get their kind of guys and they're not going to compromise on who their kind of guys are. And I know as a Virginia fan, maybe you don't want to hear that. And you're like, we, man, let's get someone that's going to get out there and recruit their ass off. I'm just telling you, this is the, this is like the right approach for a program like Virginia. Um, you really shouldn't care. I mean, recruiting's fun and, 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 take interest in, in who your guys are and what their ceilings and floors are. 
but it's it really shouldn't matter with Virginia because the the part of the part of the things that are going to make a player good at Virginia and make a, t- a roster good at Virginia is having those guys aligned, pulling in the right direction, and you're not going to know that by watching a highlight film. So, I think I think I think Virginia is doing a really good job, and uh, and and even even as I acknowledge, like they're probably never going to contend for a national championship under Bronco Mendenhall, but that's okay. Like that's a that is a program where I think that's okay. So. I think something you said there is really important for perspective when comparing UVA to other programs. And you said, you know, Brock Hall is not, not going to get involved in, in the dog and pony show and, and going after kids who are just after retweets. If you want to win a national title, you have to do that. Right. You have to play the game as much as it sucks, as much as like, God, I got to deal with this 16-year-old who's texting me, Coach, hey, can you get my Instagram followers up? Right? Like, like can you give me a custom graphic to, to say follow me on Insta? which these kids ask for and get like, man, it's, and the thing is you have to play that dog and pony show. You have to get the right ones and then you have to get them to act a certain way. Once they get in your program, I guarantee you the teams that win national titles, not everybody they sign comes into the program acting a certain championship caliber way. That's the way you win. You win a natty. You try to get as many good kids as you can who have freakishly good athletic talent. And then you just got to try to find the right ones that you think are moldable enough to where they don't act like idiots. You know, we, we, like we, we, we've spoken before about how, how Clemson's staff is told, hey, you get a certain number of these, um, you know, knuckleheads, I, I think was the term used by, by the guy over there, and everybody else better really check out. And certain programs are going to allow a couple more knuckleheads that, than others. But like at a school like UVA, I just don't think you need to, you need to deal with that too much. They are consistently going to bowl games under Bronco Mendenhall, um, could they have a Glenn Mason, Minnesota type situation after a while to where it's like, wait, is this, is this it? Like, are, are we maxed out? Like, are, are we really not going to contend to win the ACC? And you know, like that, I guess that's potentially a concern, but most UVA fans I know are, are pretty reasonable. Yeah. UVA's, UVA has to win because of their culture. There's a few programs that have to win because of their culture. Um, UVA is one of them. So, you know, Alabama can't sacrifice on talent. Um, Georgia can't sacrifice on talent. UVA can't sacrifice on culture. I, I'll have to DM Jamie about this, but I wonder what UVA's hit rate was on some of their four stars that they were actually able to land in that in that era in which they were recruiting at a top 29, top 25 type level. My, my guess is it was decent because it's UVA, but yeah. I, I'd be curious about that. All right, after the ad break here, we're going to come back. We're going to take a couple more questions. By the way, during the break, Hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. We're also on Spotify. Whatever you're listening to, if you're listening to this in an embedded player on our website, hit that subscribe button, guys. Go ahead and get our subscription numbers up, and we appreciate you making us one of the fastest-growing college ball podcasts out there. All right, dude, we're back. Uh, And Jonathan Quayle Higgins, that's a name, uh, wants to know, based on what's happened since, which fan base should regret its coach firing the most? Phil Fulmer at Tennessee, Ralph Friesen at Maryland, or Bo Pelini at Nebraska. I like this. I like this question. Um, Is there a wrong answer? Because I feel like I can argue all three. You can argue that all three should have been fired or shouldn't have been fired. No, I'm saying like I, I think you can argue any of these for the, for the most regret category. Oh, sure. Yeah, I agree. That's why it's a good question. Yeah, yeah I think I, I think my answer. And first of all, let me say this. I, I sort of pride myself on being like um, pretty pretty reasonable and 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 um, 
and not being too like reactionary or hot take-ish. And typically a reactionary or hot take-ish person is always about fire the coach, fire the coach, fire the coach. I think probably, at least for the way I, I try to like the perspective I try to present, you know, you would think I would, wouldn't be the fire the coach, fire the coach guy. But I, I find myself being it more than, um, you know, maybe you, you would expect because I am, I am of the belief that like these guys do get paid well. They know what they signed up for. And this isn't high school. Like this is, and, and as a, as a fan, as a supporter, as an AD or whatever, like you're allowed to have whatever expectations you want. Like you're all allowed to also f- like consistently not live up to those expectations and you're allowed to change those expectations as needed. But if you want to feel like you're a national championship caliber program and you think seven and five and cutting it, like, all right, I'm not mad at you. Do what you got to do. Um, just understand that there's consequences for that. Like, you know, the deal. So I actually, I actually don't have a problem on its face with any of these firings, former Tennessee, Frisian and Maryland, Polini, Nebraska. That said, I'll, I will make a case. And my, I would say probably to me, the one that is that, that in, in retrospect is probably the, from the outside looking in doesn't make the most sense is the Ralph Frisia one at Maryland. I mean, he was, he basically, if you just sort of look at the history of Maryland football, like, I don't know if some Maryland person is going to come out of the woodworks and, and call me out on this, but it, it, he appears to have had one of the more consistent stretches of success of just about anyone at Maryland in like modern football. I get that he was sort of a prickly dude. I get that recruiting wasn't that big of a deal for him. Um, I get that, you know, what James Franklin left, I guess, and sort of took some of his staff members and may, maybe he just sort of felt like the program was going downhill. But I mean, he just got done winning nine games when he got let go. And I just don't know that Mar- like Maryland's f- again, if Maryland feels like they should be winning 11 a year, then have at it. But, uh, Maryland, if they're, if they're going back and forth between five and seven and eight and four, that to me doesn't feel like you're in a bad place with that program. It feels like you're in a, you're in an okay place. You know, Tennessee, I, I get the, I get the compulsion to try to, you know, not let this thing slip away. We're high, we're high, we're high. Like let's not, let's not dive back into the mediocre. Let's get this thing going before let's get it stopped before it, we, it gets too, too far away from us. And Pelini, that was a tough spot. I mean, he was having success, but Nebraska was still in a mindset of national champions that back then, maybe right now, nine and three, yeah, obviously you don't do anything. But back then, you know, they had to learn the hard way that maybe the expectations need to be recalibrated. Man, uh, I think you're right with Frigian, though. And, and Ke- Kevin Anderson was the AD who, who made that call. And Kevin Anderson's track record as an AD is uh, not great, I, I, would, I would have to say. He, he hired, uh, <laughs> he hired Rich, Rich, uh, Rich Ellison at Army, and uh, he had one, one winning season in, in five years. Do you know how many bowls Maryland made in the decade before Frigian got hired? Not many. Zero. Ah. Oh. Which is not many. I mean, that's true. Yeah, zero bowls, dude. Like, like you said, they went nine and four. This, this to me, is kind of a classic Glenn Mason case, a, a little bit, where a guy comes, elevates the program. The program is hitting its ceiling, basically, according to all kind of reasonable expectations. He took them to the Orange Bowl 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they they got thumped by Florida and Rex Grossman, but like they went to the Orange Bowl that year. I not not the year got fired. That was year one, though. That, wait, that was year one they went to the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. Okay. Still, like that was a pretty damn consistent tenure. That they were always competing for bowl games. They made bowl games more often than not. I know he had like a down year or two in there, but I I think he. I'm just kind of against firing these guys who have these teams consistently bumping up against you know, what, what their ceiling probably is. Now, if you're Maryland and you have the, did they have the Under Armour stuff at the time? I'm trying to recall this. I, I know that they were boned about losing Franklin. They thought he could maybe be like eventually their, their head coach and he was super popular in the DC area. And they were an Under Armour team at that point. I mean, maybe they thought like they could really elevate their, their profile a bunch, but do, do you remember who replaced him? It was um, Edsel, wasn't it? Did they go straight to Edsel? Like, that's not a sexy hire. No. Yeah, the guy did a good job at UConn, but like, yeah. if, I, if I think, man, I'm going to get rid of Ralph Friesen, who has done a very nice job for my program, and I'm going to replace him to really elevate our status and, and get people excited. I'm going to go with, uh, it says here, Randy, at, like, I don't know. I, I To me, that one is is less defensible. I, I understand Nebraska. Nebraska's won national titles. They they kind of have that expectation of at least competing for them, and almost no matter what, Pelini was going to win nine games, no more, no less. And there were some things behind the scenes, I think, with the Pelini deal uh, that I don't know if I can talk about, but there was I think there was a little more than football going on there for sure. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot like the Pelini deal, and I think because I think that's similar with Friesian. I think Friesian was he was button heads with the administration. Um, you know, I think they they had named James Franklin a coach in waiting, and he had sort of uh, balked on that. I think that, that there was a lot of like, I think with with a lot of these sort of situations, Pelini and, and Friesian in particular, there's a there's some there's some um, discord behind the scenes that is 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 different than just looking purely at a record. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, the basketball hire that Anderson made, by the way, did it work at Maryland? Yeah, actually, pretty pretty decent Maryland. Not 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 a not, not a bad hire there with with, uh, with Mark Turgeon. So, got to give got to give Kevin Anderson credit for that. Mm. With Tennessee, I'm trying to remember the, the details on Fulmer's firing. I I don't have much of a problem with it, to be honest. I, I don't think that Fulmer was going to turn things around and, and pull a Mac Brown or. Um, uh, Barry Alvarez type thing, and, and it continued to be very good, you know, along lo- into his tenure at that age. I, I just don't, I don't buy it. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I, that, that's that's defensible. The, the the thing that Tennessee screwed up was every subsequent hire. Um, so that's that's a problem. All right, what we got next. I'm moving. Uh, K Knoll eleven is Alabama's 2017 receiver class, the best in the modern era. The receiver class specifically. So that's um, yeah. that's uh, Judy, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith. Um, Waddle's not in it. Waddle was year. the next year. Yeah. Well, it's going to have three first-rounders in it. Devontae Smith's going to be a first-rounder. What, what are we defining the modern era as? I mean, I, it, it almost doesn't matter. I, I think the answer is going to be yes regardless. But like, let, let's just say in the last, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years I guess I should have researched this but I, I can't I can't think of any that that would um there is one 
if you want to go back in, in, into the annals of, of recruiting history, it's the Randy Moss, Peter Warwick, Lavernius Coles class. Okay, well, yeah. One guy was a Heisman finalist. One guy's one of the best receivers in history of the league, and the other guy played like 10 or 12 years in the league. But, but their college careers were not, you know. Yeah, and Moss didn't even play at Florida State. Right, exactly. Um, I think this is the best. I mean, can, can you even think of a, of a close second? Maybe that's the, the reason why this is the best because we, we don't really have another one in mind. Was there a USC receiver class that comes close? I was close? thinking, is there a Miami one that, that comes close back in the, like the early 2000s or something? Maybe Andre Johnson or Reggie Wayne, but I think they were in different years. Yeah, that's the thing. But the, like, One roster is one thing, but one class is uh, – that's what makes this one pretty unique. Did um, did Judy win the Belitnikoff? Uh, either him or CeeDee. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Because it's, it's, it may end up having two, two Belitnikoffs on it. Yeah, because I'm, I'm pretty sure Devontae's going to win it this year. If he doesn't, I mean, Barton's going to lead a protest. Yeah, Judy won a twenty. Yeah, Judy won twenty eighteen okay. Blitnikoff. So left they'll have two Blitnikoffs in three years, and you could have made a case. Who won it last year? Who was? Who was it had to uh, be Jamar Chase, right? Oh, oh, it's Jamar Chase. Yeah, it's Jamar Chase. So I mean, that's looking here. Uh, Reggie Wayne was class of ninety seven. Andre Johnson seven. No, he was class of ninety nine. This is interesting, man. I, I really, I think this might be the runaway best receiver class ever. I think it is. I mean, I, I, Oklahoma. I don't think so. It, there, there may be one we're missing. I just at this point, I, I really can't think of it. South Carolina fans, if you're uh, if you're still holding out hope for Billy Napier, that was his parting gift to the Alabama program when he before he left to take the offensive coordinator job at Arizona State. That was the class he put together at the wide receiver position. So. Um, you know, may want to hold out a little longer. So the the rumblings on the Big Spur message board, have you been following this with, with Napier? I did. I did. Do you think uh, that he seriously want like is asking for more than they'll give him? Or do you think he just doesn't have any interest in that job because he looks at the history of it and says, Oh, it's dead end? I I would be surprised if you don't have any interest in the job. Okay. I would think he I would be I would think he would want that job, but would want to really press because you look. I don't think Billy Napier feels like he has to go to the SEC. I think Billy Napier, like I think Billy Napier wants to win. You know where you can win? There's a lot of games for the taking in the ACC right now. Botech, if it opens. Yep. There's Louisville, a lot of games. If it opened. There's, there's there's a lot of games for taking in the Big Twelve. You know, if if one of those jobs comes open at some point, like there's he wanted Baylor last year, right? For sure. Yeah, he, I think he wanted that one bad. So, I, I just think his. I think he's he's. I think he's smart. And he knows that, like, he's got to win. He wants to go somewhere we can win. And I think he feels like he can win at South Carolina if, you know, like he can win if he gets what he needs. He can win if he gets the, the right assistant coach pool. He can, if he gets the right, um, you know, financial commitment. So I just, if you stop scheduling North Carolina to open the season in a neutral site in addition to playing Clemson in the SEC <laughs> that's schedule, that's right. Like, you know, yeah, man, that, that's, that, that's interesting though. Yeah. All right. Uh, Pin and pull. He wants to know, do you guys think recruiting rankings have given teams like Georgia extra cachet with the committee? It sounds like a topic you guys could chew on better than anyone. I think he's right as far as us, our, our ability, of course. I don't know, man. What do you think? I think so. 
a little bit because I, I do think that the committee is probably biased when they see the quality of player consistently at these schools. I think that they're like, I'm not saying that they're looking at the recruiting rankings like, you know, Georgia has three number one classes in a row or whatever it is now. Right. Um, I don't think they do that, certainly. But I think there's kind of an inherent bias into teams that obviously have bigger, faster, stronger. And whether or not you're well-developed or well-coached, if your teams are bigger, faster, stronger, they're going to see it. They're going to know it. And I think the former coaches in that room, who I think probably dominate the conversation a good bit, are aware of it. So I, I think it probably does does seep in. But maybe not the ranking specifically. But but as insofar as the, the ranking reflects the quality of athlete on the field, then, then yeah. I think... I don't know. This is a tough one. I mean, yes, probably, but I I can't, there's, it's hard for me to delineate where recruiting bleeds into just sort of brand recognition. I mean, if Texas, who has been sort of just above average over the last four years, um, they've recruited really well. And, and so if 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 they gave the committee just a reason to believe, would the committee be giving Texas a bump into the playoffs or in in the rankings because recruiting, or would it just be because well Texas looks like they got some good players this year? Like it's, pro- it's probably do it's Texas. Um, I I, I th- that's sort of my my question there is like, um, I mean Georgia, I don't know like Georgia's. I don't know. Does just like is Georgia getting a bump because they're recruiting, or are they just getting a bump because, I mean, they played in the playoffs a couple of years ago, right? They they have they have a lot of recent success. I mean, as much as Florida fans and Bama fans want to make fun of Georgia, and you know, I, I saw on Twitter the uh, you'll appreciate this. The last time Georgia won a national championship, receivers were still lining up in in, in sprinter stances, which is <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's probably you're probably right. It probably is more about brand recognition and and recent success and given the benefit of the doubt. You don't really have teams come out of nowhere to recruit like gangbusters, though. So it is hard to separate. I, I think you're right about that. Yeah, I just think I think I think the committee, just like everybody, wants to, to wants to believe in some of the blue bloods, and they'll convince themselves they got a ton of young talent if if they're just given any reason to latch onto it. I mean, you can't tell me Tennessee this year, if they had just, you know, played a, played a couple games close, wasn't going to have a real, like, you know, wasn't going to get the, some, some blue blood bounce from the committee because they just, it's Tennessee. Like there's itching for it. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's a, it's an interesting question. It's all, it's all there, there's a you know it's all about the what's what's in the subconscious right and um, it's hard to really hard to really measure that no doubt all right so last question of, of the day I think this is a good one this, this is one that both you and I want to focus on pretty hard this is from Tom and Tom asks who are some of the coaches for the 2021 cycle who we'll be hearing about so next year's coaching carousel cycle not not the guys to be fired because I I don't want to forecast that far out in advance but like who are some names that you think if you're a big-time college ball nerd, and I think if you're listening to the 59th minute of this podcast, you probably are. Like, Who are some names that you want to hear about from us who are going to be mentioned prominently in coaching searches next year, assuming that they continue on a good track? Okay, so you've 
I'm looking at this sheet and you've written a couple down here um, that I, that I agree with. Yeah. I, I got, I got a bunch. I, I, I think there's, there's a whole lot we can, t- we can discuss that are close. So I'll throw a couple out there and then I'll let you dig into some of the ones that you noted. Cause I agree with the ones you noted. Um, but here are some that you didn't, you didn't write down. Um, one would be Jeff Halfley. I know he's a first year coach at Boston college, but let's say, I mean, but it, it's been a really impressive first year. Let's say that next year, Boston college takes another step forward. It seems reasonable to think that they might because Bill Jerkovic comes back or COVID comes back at the quarterback position. Um, they'll be second year in the system, all that stuff. Um, let's say that what well, maybe like nine and three or something like have that kind of a year. I think you could start hearing Jeff Halfley's name being whispered around with like the big jobs coming open, like the Michigans, the, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the carousel will look like, but, but you know, like the, those sort of level of jobs. Um, another, another one in, in terms of the, the assistant coach ranks, there's a couple, I think, I think Mike Elko, this might not be the year, but like I just sat there and watched that LSU game last week and just that defense is just looks like it is turning the corner as we speak. And it feels like next year they're going to be even better on that side of the ball. And Elko has been successful everywhere he's been. I think it's sort of going to take the right fit for him. But um, like if Virginia Tech opened this year, like to me, he's a good candidate for that. But I don't know that the other jobs that are floating around right now are jobs that necessarily he would want or that necessarily fit, makes sense for, for the, the program either. Um, so I think Elko at A&M is one to watch. I mean, the guy's a $2 million coordinator. Like he's, he's clearly uh, in demand. And then Jim Leonard at Wisconsin, again, it's gotta be the right job, but he just sort of hangs around. And then the, the, the one that I think is really interesting is, um, uh, Brian Johnson at, at Florida, the offensive coordinator, obviously it's Dan Mullen's offense, right? But what does like, at what point does that guy get enough credit for this to where, you know, he gets a, he gets a gig. Um, so I, I think Brian Johnson is, is getting really close to getting that point where that office is just so good that Dan Mullen's got to share some of the credit for it. I, I agree, man. Like, obviously like, like he's taking Brian Johnson with him. He, he, he likes Johnson a lot. And this is kind of similar to the Kirby smart, Nick Saban thing, right? Is it Nick Saban's defense? Is it Kirby smart's defense? Well, I, I think Georgia fans are, are pretty happy generally with, with how Kirby smart has worked out. Um, we, we already talked to Sean Lewis. I, I think Sean Gleason at Rutgers is, is certainly one who could be looked at. Former Princeton offensive coordinator and, and coach, former Oklahoma State guy. Now, now he's doing, honestly, a, a bang-up job with, with the Rutgers offense. So I, I could see him getting a gig somewhere. Uh, Lance Leopold at Buffalo. It's not the flashiest, but the guy just dropped 70 points. And they just win. He was at what Wisconsin Whitewater, I think it was before. And there's just something about these coaches, man, that they have a track record of winning. They find ways to win, especially if they haven't been at programs that have traditional huge talent edges. If this if this carousel starts spinning, he may not get out of, get out of this cycle without getting hired by somebody. Um, Jonathan Smith, I will say as well, yep. a guy a lot of y'all probably don't know about Oregon State has just improved so much under Jonathan Smith. It was a mess when he, when he took it over. I think he's just done a great job there. Like they're, if you watch them, they very rarely beat themselves. They're, they're fundamentally sound. They, they, they run the football. Well, they, they play hard nosed defense. He seems like a pretty high energy guy. I, I think that he consistently has them you know, kind of punching above their weight class. It, you already mentioned Brian Johnson. Uh, here's a name for you. Uh, do you know, Ryan Walters, 
the the D the DC at Missouri. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking um, the guy that used to be the Nebraska offensive coordinator. Um, yeah, Ryan Walters. I've heard good things about him as well. So like he learned under Barry Odom, who's kind of like the hot coordinator of uh, of the season. Young guy. He's only thirty four years old. He's one of Missouri's better recruiters. I I, I think he's eventually going to land a job. You know, sooner rather than later. At, at least you know somewhere. Try to think of other names that we've not really heard a whole lot in this cycle. Uh, tell you what, let let Jay Norvell have oh, another yeah. nice year out out in the desert. I, I think Jay Norvell, and no no relation to Mike, is uh, is going to have have some serious options for next year. Yeah, that's um, been a that's been a slow, quiet build, but that's a, that's a really good team all of a sudden that uh, he's done a really good job with. D- does Tony Elliott count? Like, like he's not mentioned for these jobs because none of them are big enough for him. It seems like, like he's he's selective. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if he counts only because he's been he's just been sort of floating around there for a few years, and all, all these Clemson coordinators, it seems like they're just all waiting for the perfect gig. So I think he's he's indefinitely in there, um, and, and 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 just as I'm thinking about coordinator or, or assistant coaches. You know, Charles Huff is a name that's floated around with the Vandy search a little bit. He's the uh, I don't know if he has a recruiting coordinator title or something at, at Alabama, but he's their running backs coach. Um, I, I would be curious what his next step is because he was a special teams coordinator at Penn State. He's, you know, he's certainly run a room before, like, you know, sp- spoken to the team um, and and has a great, you know, he's the number one recruiter in the country right now in 24-7 sports. So, uh, you know, I think his star is on the rise, and I'll be kind of curious what that means in terms of trajectory and and timeline. So, w- something interesting to me here. I saw a tweet from Dan Wolken uh, that w- which said that cultural administrators were concerned about the lack of minority candidates for the openings this year. But like five out of the nine guys we just read off for next year's cycle are actually minorities. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if if it's just not an anomaly this year, right? And that we we have a lot of really strong minority candidates coming down the pipe for next year. I mean, Brian Johnson with another year of seasoning, Ryan Walters with another year of seasoning, Jay Norvell, third year as a head coach. I I think those guys are extremely attractive candidates. This this might just be a one year weird deal ra- rather than a concerning kind of reversal of trend. Yeah, I think for the big jobs, those guys would be just like maybe just a a, a step too far of a reach, but, but maybe one more year of bullet points on the old resume and like all of a sudden, you know, those are very realistic candidates. So yeah, we could be, we could be looking at that. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And hell for, for Tony Elliott, it doesn't seem like there's a job big enough open right now. I mean, like <laughs> he, he turned down South Carolina from all, all reports. So, you know, or maybe that's just cause it's too close, but still cool, man. That was, that was fun. Uh, Two minutes on this weekend? Oh yeah, I forgot we got football this weekend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's what's the give me give me one or two things that you're most excited to see this weekend? Coastal Liberty. It's going to be yeah. fun as hell if Malik Willis plays. I'm a little concerned that he's not going to play because the line is moving up to like ten now, and that that's that's concerning to me. Also, A and M Auburn. I'm, I'm going to have a write up on this about about why A and M is only favored by five or six points. That's it seems low, given a lot of people are already putting A and M in their kind of year-end playoff scenarios. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that's going to be can, – can Auburn get off the mat and, and give A&M some trouble? Because A&M didn't look very good offensively against LSU. Now, defensively, they were, they were pretty lights out. But I I wonder if Auburn doesn't have something for them. Those are kind of the two I'm going to be watching most this weekend. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, Tennessee's playing Harrison Bailey this weekend at quarterback, supposedly. We'll see how much, what that means. But, you know, just could, can Tennessee start to look any different? Like, can they give any signs of life on offense? I mean, this is a certainly a weekend where they're going to need to because Florida's going to put up a number. But I, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing just sort of what, uh, you know, what that team looks like. And then, I don't know, I, I think probably elsewhere – uh, can can Virginia Tech just kind of make things at all interesting? Uh, I don't think so, but I'll just be curious what kind of death machine Clemson's operating right now, two weeks away from the ACC championship game, and whether Virginia Tech can can get back on track. Because the uh, the flip side of that is, if if Clemson you know beats Virginia Tech by thirty eight or something, um, you know again that that's just another opportunity for that Virginia Tech administration. Uh, what is it? Whit Babcock is that their yeah, yep. the director? Um, to uh, to make a move on Justin Fuente with a, with a lot of surly fans right now. So I think that's one to watch. I, I would prefer that that the Hokies keep this game within twenty one and a half points. By the way, but uh, that, yeah, that's just me. You have a vested interest in that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. L- little vesting. Nice. Small. Nice. Small vesting. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I know you got radio. Go uh, great weekend, man. You got the hoodie up. Is it cold there in Nashville? Yeah, man, it started. You down there in Florida, man, just living the life. You don't we, know. We how had it's 38 real. this morning, dude. So Maggie, so Liam was crying last night. Maggie gets out of bed, right? Goes. We have kind of the the dual zone or thermostat in, in the house. I hear it click on. She doesn't even come back to bed. She goes sleeps in the guest room where where, where it's real warm next to uh, next to Liam's room. And I was like, oh. <laughs> It's going to be this way, right? I, I, I didn't even know it was going to get that cold overnight. And I was like, hey, what's going on, babe? She's like, oh, I just, you know, it's so warm over here already. And, you know, I just, the like, heat was kind of cold. So I wanted to raise it up even more. And I checked the heat and it's on like 72. You don't even know. I don't even know. Nashville, Nashville has a couple couple months of winter and they're, they feel cold to me, but I know, you know, it's not Minnesota. Josh Pate's out there posted pictures of, of it snowing at his apartment complex. I know, man. We had a little dusting already. Like way. enough to make a snowman or, or just kind of a... Not enough to make a nasty. snowman, just enough to uh, to scare us for what's to come. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right, I'll try to send some sunshine your way. Get, get out of here. Go, go do your radio uh, stuff. All right. All right.